0: Today's reading is from Matthew eleven twenty five through 30. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thanks, Hillary. Good morning, everybody. Hello. Good to see you today. My name is Scott, if we haven't met yet. Uh, and uh, we are, uh, we're in our uh, series summer series that we're calling The Battle Within. Uh, we're focusing on different uh, internal struggles that are uh, ordinary, I guess, to the human experience. And today we're going to talk about weariness uh, or restlessness. And I thought I would start with a little anecdote from Chariots of Fire, which is a a well-known film. I assume that a lot of you have have seen it at some point, but it features two world-class Olympic athletes. It's based on a true story. Uh, Both have the same job, same calling, uh, run the same races. And uh, one of them is named Eric Liddell. And Eric Liddell is also a a missionary, and his sister Jenny, who... um, you know, loves God, you know, along with with her brother, Eric Liddell, uh, says to him in a conversation, I I really don't, essentially, I really don't think you should be um, running in the Olympics because it it distracts you from what your primary calling is, and that is to be a missionary. And uh, this is sort of the most famous line in the the film where, where Eric Liddell looks back at his sister, Jenny, and says, well, of course God has made me a missionary. I know that, but God has also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure and And, as you see the story unfold and see him competing and, and so on, you see this you know workhorse of a of a of an Olympic athlete who is also uh, characteristically characteristically uh, you know through each of the scenes that he's in an unburdened soul who has joy in this sort of inner equilibrium and poise and and restedness about him and then you have Harold Abrams who does the same thing, runs the same races, lives in many ways the same life. He's he's a secular Jew, and uh, perhaps the most haunting uh, scene in the movie with Harold Abrams is, is when they capture an internal monologue that he's having with himself, and he says this, I have never known contentment. I'm forever in pursuit, and I don't even know what it is I'm chasing. So, We've got Eric Liddell on, on the one hand with a solid center, inner poise, joy in his work. And then we've got Harold Abram, who's even presenting himself as, as driven, restless, and he's, he's got a sleepless soul, you might say. And they're doing the same thing. What's the difference? And, and you know, the question really, I think, for us, especially in sort of our achiever Culture and achiever environment that we live in um, is do we identify with the story and who do we identify with the most? Maybe it's Eric Liddell, maybe it's Harold Abrams, maybe it's a little bit of both, depending on the day. Um, but many of you uh, actually are on a prayer list. I, I send out a weekly email, um, you know, for those who are interested in knowing what I would like prayer for, and I welcome you to send me an email if you want to get on that list uh, and. You'll know if you're on this list that, that that probably the most recurring request for prayer that I send out is that I would sleep better because I, I have had insomnia for probably about 10 years now. And um, I'm beginning to wonder if the insomnia is at least in part because um, even though I'm a Christian, uh, functionally, I am a lot more like Harold Abrams, perhaps, than I am like Harold Liddell, uh, and so this was this was sort of um, played out this past week. I was in Georgia. I was visiting my parents and my brother and sister-in-law and their six kids and their dog. And um, and at one point we're all around the dinner table, and my sister-in-law Laurel decides she's going to take a picture and throw it up on you know social media on Instagram. And and before too long, I feel a little ding on my on my phone, and it's my wife tagging me and and essentially saying, you know, Scott, put down your phone, okay? Because in the picture, everybody's enjoying dinner together, and I'm on my phone, uh, which is kind of a continuing source of frustration for people around me. And um, it's funny for those who aren't Living their lives up close to me, but it's not quite as funny all the time for those who are. So, I've got a friend uh, who, like me, has a public job, does a lot of public speaking, is a writer, those sorts of things. And we were having lunch the other day, just sort of talking about the unique uh, sort of idolatries and and traps of, of people who live a public life. And, and he said that he and his wife were having a, a conversation together, and his wife stopped him in the middle of the conversation and said this. Did you ever realize this about yourself—that you are an extrovert with strangers and you are an introvert with the people who are close to you? And I thought, oh my goodness, I'm glad my wife has never said that about you know to me, but but she could. And and a lot of people who live their lives close to me could say that—that that I'm more of an extrovert with strangers than I am with 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 people close because I'm always struggling with fully being fully present, right? Uh, and yet I'm not because. You know, as 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 I heard, you know, another pastor say not too long ago, I'm always fully present somewhere. It may not be here with you. You know, I, I may be with here with you right now physically, uh, but I'm fully present 20 miles from here, right? Because you know of distractions and everything else. And and so, for the next 25 minutes or so, I'm going to invite you to eavesdrop on an internal monologue that I'm going to have with myself because i'm i'm suspicious that perhaps nobody in this room needs this message more than i do because if there is an area of of life in christ that that i have very little integrity i would say it's probably this i don't rest much i don't unplug hardly at all and i make a lot of excuses about it about my workaholism and drivenness and such and so what i'd like to talk about a little bit is is the source of our restlessness and also the invitation to rest for the weary. So the source of our restlessness, this word that Jesus uses, yoke. It's a really important word and 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 you know the yoke is something that can be carried by somebody who's religious and also it can be carried by somebody who's not religious at all. So a yoke is a tool that is harnessed to a farm animal, to a beast of burden. In those days, it would u- would usually be an ox or, or a horse or some you know kind of animal that, that 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 you know was you know carrying heavy loads in sort of the agrarian culture that they were in on farms and stuff. And what Jesus is basically saying is this: as a human being, you have an oak, uh, you have a yoke. Also, you have something that that, that you're carrying. And, and, and a burden that, that, that is on you. And if it's not my light burden and my easy yoke, then it's going to be something more heavy. And and, and it'll turn you into more of a beast than a human being. You'll, you'll become a beast of burden, like the ox in the field, if, if you don't take on my yoke instead. And so, if we start to ask the question, what, what is the yoke that I'm carrying? What is the burden that I'm carrying? It, that's another way of asking, what is it that I worship and serve? What do I look to as the functional Lord and Savior? Not the creedal, uh, confessional Lord and Savior, yeah, but the functional, day to day Lord and Savior of my life. What drives me? What's my, what's my center? And, and, and the answer to that question is really where do I spend my time, my money, and my mind share? With the least amount of effort. What am I fully present with the most at any given time? You know, Archbishop William Temple put it this way He said, Your religion, your true religion, your real religion is what you do with your solitude. It's wherever your, your mind goes when you have a moment of quiet. So, so I mentioned insomnia. So many of you know this. I have a recurring nightmare and I, it actually happened last night. And the recurring nightmare is this, that, that I am walking up to a podium to talk in front of a, la, a large group of people, like this one, and when, as soon as I step on the podium, I recognize I have nothing to say. I forgot to prepare. I forgot to collect my thoughts. I forgot to get a talk together, and so the rest of the dream is typically spent scrambling, running around, looking for notes, looking for something to say, because in the moment I don't have anything to say, and the clock's ticking before I'm on. And then I wake up, and I'm sweating, and all of that. And so this is really interesting, because my nightmare is focused on the thing that gives me the most joy— and also the most anxiety. This is the area, public speaking, communication, where I work harder than any other area of my life. I can say with integrity that for 18 years, I have never once cut corners on a talk or a sermon. I've never once taken shortcuts. I've always poured everything I've got into it. And, you know, at, at, at my best, I'm feeling the pleasure of God when I do this. A lot of weeks, this 30 minutes or so, is the most pleasurable time of, of my entire week. And, and, and then at my worst, and, and I think this gets back to, to the, the worst nightmare scenario, I really want you to like me. And there's a part of me, and maybe this is why it's attached to my nightmare, my, re- my recurring nightmare, is that there's this fear that I will get up and be found out for, for not being as awesome as I want you to think I am. And prepared, and astute, and hardworking, and articulate, and thoughtful, and humorous, and all of these other things—it's it's, it's this pressure that that comes at me from within me, and 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 really not from you. You're an incredibly generous group of people when it comes to you know receiving teaching and things like that. But there are other yokes too that can be carried. Maybe it's. Good looks like that's the driving center of my life that I have to look good I've gotta, I've got to turn heads and, and 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 that's why you undereat and over exercise It's a different kind of drivenness because your worst nightmare is to not be one of the prettiest or most handsome buff people in the room or maybe it's career you know overworking. Because of this, this, this internal drive to prove myself, and, and you know, like like Harold Abrams, I'm not really sure who I'm trying to prove myself to. You know, maybe it's some mysterious being out there who created me, or maybe it's um, the people around me, or maybe I'm trying to validate myself in my own eyes. You know, by 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 working a lot more than I have to. You may remember this, um, you know. Movie series uh, called Rocky. Remember Rocky the boxer, um, and uh, Sylvester Stallone plays this um, you know blue collar guy from a from a blue collar community, and um, you know life has been really really rough. And he you know he discovers, and the people around him discover he's got a talent. He can he can knock you out, and so he gets into a bo- boxing career, and he gets an opportunity to get into the ring with Apollo Creed who is the reigning heavyweight champion of the world. And this is what Rocky says uh, as he is about to go into the ring with Apollo Creed. All I want to do is go the distance. Nobody's ever gone the distance with Creed. And if I can go that distance and that bell rings and I'm still standing, I'm going to know for the first time in my life that I'm not just another bum from the neighborhood. You don't have to be blue-collar. Madonna has the same story. She has this you know, incredibly transparent interview that she did with Vogue magazine where she basically says the governing principle of her life and, and the reason why she drives herself day in, day out, year in, year out is the fear of being mediocre. Reason behind everything she does, she says, or we can become social chameleons because we're, you know, th- thirsty for approval. We, we, you know, sort of, you know, want to fill our emotional love tank with, with, with praise and affirmation from the people around us. And we become by, like Woody Allen's Leonard Zelig, where we, you know, we change personalities depending on, you know, who's in the room that we're in in the moment. You know, if, if if you're a business person, I put on my business self hat. If you're a, you know, kind of a relationship family person, I, I put on my relationship family hat. If you're like a funny person, I, I, you know, try to pull out some good jokes. If you're a sports person, I, you know, I read the sports page before I, I meet you so that I can, you know, speak intelligently and currently and so on. If you're a Republican, I put on my conservative hat. If you're a Democrat, I put on my progressive hat. You know, depending on who I'm with, Right. We're constantly changing ourselves. We're we're adapting to the environment. That's what a chameleon does, right? It adapts the exterior uh, for fear of potential predators. It's it's a protection mechanism, which is why we're all, you know, on some level, different people in public than we are in private, different people over here with this group than we are with people over here. Because we're all like Woody Allen's Zelig, who, who says to his therapist... It's all about being safe. I want to be liked. You know, this can bleed into religion and faith as well. You know, God gives us the Scriptures. He gives us Jesus. He gives us this grand, you know, story of creation, fall, redemption, and glory. To live inside of it. To know that's our story. And and that, 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 that the future is bright. And we have so much to be optimistic about because of where history is. Headed, and yet somehow religious practice itself becomes a burden. Delight is turned to drudgery, and then something happens. We don't perform well. Let's say we fall asleep while the pastor is preaching or praying, or, or, or you know we fall asleep when you know, we're reading the Bible or whatever, and then we wake up to it and we feel ashamed and we feel, you know, substandard and unreligious and we start to wonder, am I really a Christian? Really? Like, and, and, and then, you know, shouldn't our minds go to this? You know, what, it, what does it make us feel like when a child falls asleep in our arms? You know, nothing stimulates our affection for a child more, right? Than when the child falls right asleep in our arms, and yet when we fall asleep in the arms of God, we feel shame because we've turned even the most cherished intimacy that God has offered to us into a chore. Kathy Keller once said that the natural religion of the human heart is self-righteousness, which basically means the natural religion of the human heart is we drive ourselves into the ground, we perform, 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 even in religion, so that we can tell ourselves that we're not a bum. And underneath all of this, and this is what Jesus is getting at here. Underneath all of this is the haunting question, am I loved? Do I matter? Does anyone notice? And if I don't perform, if I don't reach the bar, will I be forgiven? And when we're yoked to something other than Jesus, when the driving center of our life is, you know, career or body type or, you know, any of these other things that I've talked about so we won't feel like we're a bum, what happens is we we take a legitimate, beautiful calling that God has given us, whatever it is, and we turn it into a stage. And all of life becomes performance and saving face so that we can feel like we're not a bum. The Bible calls this living under law. You can be completely religious, you can be completely unreligious, and be living under law. And the way that you know that you're living under law is that you constantly feel this pressure to, to perform, to be great, to be awesome, not remembering, getting this amnesia that, that, that you have not been called by God. God is not like this policeman who says, you better be awesome or I'm going to arrest you. He doesn't call us to be awesome, he calls us to be loved. He calls us to be forgiven. He calls us to be liberated and free. He doesn't call us to slave for him and to be beasts of burden. He calls us to rest in his arms. And if we slip up, if we fail, if we show that we don't have the goods, he won't punish us. He won't turn on us. Do we believe that? That's what Jesus so much wants us to know right here. Rest for the weary, okay, for the last few moments. Let's talk about the the cure to all of this. Verses 28 through 30, Jesus puts a secret out there for us, and it's this. Take whatever you are yoked to, whatever you are looking to to validate you, whatever you're slaving for, whatever you're just insecure and driven and have insomnia about, trade it in for the old yoke, uh, trade in this old yoke for the new I love what N.T. Wright says in his reflection on this passage. He says that Jesus does not stand over us like a prosecuting policeman or an angry schoolteacher. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So let's let's just zero in on a few of these words from Jesus. Let, let, let's think, first of all, of the word me. He says, come to me. He doesn't say, you know, come to church. He doesn't say, come to a small group Bible study. He doesn't say, you know, come to the Lord's table, even though he does say all of those things. What he really says is, come to me. And all those things are a version and an aspect or a facet of coming to Him. The Bible will do us no good if the Bible does not lead us to Jesus. The Bible will only shame us and condemn us and, and, and discourage us and make us feel small and tired if we don't see the central core message of it, which we're told in Luke 24, is that beginning with the, the Moses and the prophets, all the way back to Genesis, all the way to Revelation, it's about Jesus. This is about getting us into the arms of Jesus. This is about getting us into the resting yoke of Jesus Christ. My rest. Come to me, Jesus says. You know, Jesus gives us what every other yoke falsely promises. So, so work, career, promises us significance, promises us a name. And what Jesus says is, I've already given you significance. I've already given you a name. And so, so now you can approach your work this way. The identity is already secured. The pat on the back has already been given and it's always there and you're never going to lose it. So now work with gusto at whatever you've been given to do, whatever you've been created to do, Eric Liddell, run and feel the pleasure of God, knowing that you have the approval of God if you win the gold or if you come in last. Run and do it with pleasure for its own sake, not to validate yourself, not so that you can no longer feel like a bum, but because you're made for it. Because God made you fast. Or God made you this. God made you to make music. God made you to run things. God made you to follow somebody else's lead. God made you to make the best grades that you can. Or maybe it's come to beauty. Come to a body type. And and I think what Christ would want us to know is there is such a thing as a beautiful body and an ugly soul. Prioritize character. Prioritize a rested soul. Prioritize a, a, a centered equilibrium in Christ. And you will be beautiful whether or not you ever qualify to be the most attractive person in the room. And whether you ever turn human heads or not, you're always turning the head of the one who loves you and gave himself for you. And so go after a beautiful soul, which, which, which happens When you enter my rest. And then we get promises from the Bible, like, you know, from God, like you're the apple of my eye. You you are my beloved. You're my child in in whom I am well pleased. And and so this love thirst, this 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 thirst that we have for approval or, you know, like I can't remember the country artists were this, you know, looking for love in all the wrong places. Who was that? urban cowboy. Come on. Somebody's old enough. Okay. I don't remember, but looking for love in all the wrong places, right? When, when Jesus is here saying, look, the Lord, your God is with you mighty to save. You will take great delight in you, quiet you with his love, rejoice over you with singing or Romans eight, nothing in all creation, not even you on your worst day, nothing in all creation is able to separate you from the love of God that's in Christ. What could be better than that? King of the universe. The boss of everything. The husband to the bride. King of kings and Lord of lords. Says to us, I cannot love you more and I will not love you less. So, you know, like it says all over Scripture, come to me. You know, the version of this in the prophets was You know, the Lord, thus saith the Lord, I am your share, I am your inheritance, I am your shield, I am your very great reward, and so on. So come to me, Jesus says. And he says, I will give you rest. And 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 so what Jesus is doing here is he's conjuring up the biblical theme of Sabbath, Shabbat. You know, this 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 one day in seven. Uh, this rhythm of life that, that involves, you know, six days of gutsy work and feeling the pleasure of God because you are not working towards Sabbath, you are working out of it. But, but pouring everything you've got into whatever it is that God has gifted and given you to do, and then unplugging. But, but the Sabbath is more than a day; it's also a state of being. It, it's, it you might call it a lightness of being. You know scientists talk about um, you know sleep, and you know some of us have been through sleep studies with you know sleep apnea or whatever, insomnia issues, and 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 scientists and medical people will say that that the the depth and quality of your sleep is even more important than the length of it. You can you can actually become more refreshed with four hours of deep rapid eye movement than. than than with twelve hours of tossing and turning. Jesus says this I have a rapid eye movement for the soul for you. I have an easy yoke. I have a light burden for you. And and so the big, you know, million dollar question is this: How do we access what Jesus is offering here? How do we plug into it. And, and the way we plug into it is by unplugging. Or as um, you know, theologian Walter Brueggemann, commentator Walter Brueggemann says, to unplug from the anxiety system of Pharaoh. You remember the Egyptian Pharaoh? And what the Egyptian Pharaoh wanted to do to, to the Israelites who he had been holding you know, as his slaves he wanted to, 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 you know, he, he put them, he, huge burdens on them and said, I want you to make more bricks with less materials. And, and, and he, he was just drive, 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 drive. And so, so what Brueggemann is saying is we've got to detach ourselves from the inner Pharaoh as well because we've all got one. These are his words. Sabbath is about work stoppage. It is about withdrawal from the anxiety system of Pharaoh. The refusal to let one's life be defined by production and consumption. And the endless pursuit of private well-being. And Anne Lamott put it in a more pithy way when she said, almost everything will work again if you unplug it, including you. And so the next word here is take. Take. This this is sort of the image of of receptivity, receiving, take my yoke upon you. So there is an active part to play, And, 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 and the activity that he's calling us to is a degree of passivity. He's calling us into the activity of receiving and resting. And so the Sabbath is a lot more than a day, but it's certainly not less than a day. Within the rhythm of life, Jesus and the whole Bible attest. If, if the embedded practice of unplugging from the anxiety system of the world in which we live is 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 a committed part of our rhythm of life, just like you know, showing up at work in the morning is 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 a committed part of our rhythm of life. Just like eating three meals a day, or you know, in in, in some people's case, two meals a day. I know some people who don't eat breakfast that I meet with for breakfast, and they they don't eat, but. Um, Two meals a day. Part of your rhythm, right? This has to be part of the rhythm of life. Even Google recognizes this. You know, Fortune magazine comes out every year with, with uh, you know, the, the article, you know, the top 100 companies to work with or to work for. And for six consecutive years, Google has been number one. And part of what Google has recognized from a secular perspective is the essential aspect of Sabbath built into a, a, a week of hard work. You know, Google is thought of by many as the most productive organization in the world. And, and, and they've got Sabbath built in to their rhythm. You'll get more vacation days at Google than you will with their competitors. You will get a longer uh, maternal or paternal leave if you have a child. If you work for Google, than you will if you work for other competitor companies. They have sleep pods in their offices where if you want to take a nap, you have complete freedom without any shame to go take a nap. They expect you to get your job done, but they also recognize that part of working smart and working well and working strong is unplugging because almost everything will work again if you unplug it, including you. You know, Claire Diaz-Ortiz wrote a a book on on productivity. She's a, a former executive for Twitter, And essentially, the philosophy of the book that she wrote is this, and and, and she lives her life this way. I get a lot more work done by working less. I work smart. I work intentionally, and part of that intentionality, intelligence, is to unplug. And she's an incredibly, you know, you know, she's on virtually everybody's list as as you know, top you know, sort of emerging young executives. This is really a trust issue. You know, God messes with the things that matter to us the most and He agitates them like He did with the rich ruler and like He does with us. You know, like, like at, if we're not giving at least 10%, for instance, of our, of our resources back to God to acknowledge that it all belongs to Him, there's a trust issue going on. There's a trust issue. It's not about making budget. It's about trust. Do I trust God? Do we trust God to to give 100% provision on 90% or less of income and, and 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 Sabbath is the same way with time. But instead of a tenth God says I want a seventh. 7 days productivity is the promise for 6 days work. Trust me in this God says, trust me in this. And 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 even in the harvest season, you know, God made sure to put it in there in the Scriptures, even during the harvest season, the busiest, most crucial, critical, essential time to get to work and get her done in in the agrarian societies and in the farming communities, even in the harvest season, unplug on the Sabbath day and see if I don't bless you. And the Lord did. Don't gather manna from heaven on the Lord's day. I will give you provision every day, you just need to trust me in this. And when Israel didn't trust the Lord with the Sabbath, the the manna got corrupted and it got worms, and it's sort of a picture of life when we don't unplug. There's also a daily means of grace, a daily checking in, right? Like people do in good marriages and good friendships, there's a checking in on a daily basis, which is why God has put the Scriptures, it wasn't Martin Luther that put the Scriptures in our hands, it's God who put the Scriptures in our hands to check in, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes a day. Basic stuff, basic stuff. You know, Charles Spurgeon, who's known as the Prince of Preachers by those of us who are preachers, also dealt pretty much all of his adult life with anxiety, insomnia, uh, depression, Uh, and and so on. And one of the things that Spurgeon said is this, and and this is really what, what kept him centered in the midst of, you know, just dealing with restlessness issues. He said this, a Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. So, you know, come to me, take it, take what I have for you, take it, receive it. It's not meant to be a burden. This is meant to be an invitation to rest. And so, lastly, there's a posture. Verse 25 and following, you know, Jesus prays to the Father, and he gives a prayer of thanks, and he says, thank you, Father, that these things have been revealed by you to little children. He's really referring to, to all of us as little children and the posture that that we're called to. And what, what's, what's a, a little child's job description? to take, to receive, to be cared for. What makes children so free and so liberated? Have you ever just been observing with maybe an adult friend or two, like a group of children just being children, playing, laughing, frolicking without a care in the world, and you look over to your friend and you say, wouldn't it be great to be a child again? Not a care in the world? And, and here's the invitation. Be a child again. Be a child again. What is it about children that, 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 that unstresses them so? What is it about children that enables them to be playful and to, to play hard and to sleep hard? It is that little children, they don't even have a thought that the weight of the world is on them. Little children assume that the weight of the world, if, if they're even aware of it, is on somebody else mom and dad or, you know, whomever. But little children, particularly in healthier environments, are not thinking at all that the weight of the world is on them. And and when little children do get restless in healthy homes, they run to those who they perceive are carrying the weight of the world, right? You know, when our when our daughters in their younger years, you know, got afraid at night, you know, afraid of the dark, afraid of the quiet, you know they they would come to us and ask for comfort and and you know the thing that always worked 100% always worked was to get up out of bed which which we would do sometimes but not all the time to get up out of bed and to go into their beds with them put my arms around them and just wait and 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 they would fall asleep because they they feel safe they feel held they feel secure this is the invitation that the lord is giving to Little children, to chief executives, to sanitation workers, and to leaders of the free world. This is an invitation to not carry the weight of the world on your shoulders. And here's the great thing about our Father in heaven this is the difference between Him and us. We would get out of bed sometimes. But if we were really tired, we would essentially say, love you, go deal with it. And maybe there's some healthiness in that. But it says in the 121st Psalm this, the Lord watches over us. He never leaves the room. He never lets go. He watches over us. and, And get this, the Lord neither slumbers nor sleeps. He is the shade at your right hand. And how can we know that, that He neither slumbers nor sleeps for our sakes? Again, it's all, it all goes back to Jesus. Jesus who became restless at Gethsemane, sweating blood, overwhelmed with sorrow even to the point of death for our sake. Jesus who became sleepless, who cried out to His friends, watch and pray, and they repeatedly fell asleep on Him. And He bore the burden all alone in the dark. And then He really bore the burden on the cross, did the most restless work so that we would never, ever, ever have to feel like a bum. Because on the cross, Jesus moved our judgment day from the future to the past. On the cross, Jesus' last words were, the work is finished. It is finished. Jesus' last words, it is finished, become the first words of our lives that we get to live out of. And then Jesus, from the cross, also cried out, I thirst, so that we would never thirst, so that we would have a table, that we get to to surround together, to remember that the weight of the world was carried on the shoulders of Jesus Christ, His body, His blood given for us, and we do this in remembrance of Him. Come to Him, all who are weary, and receive His rest. Will you pray with me? We're going to pray straight from the 121st Psalm as the elders and pastors and servers come forward and as the children come in. Let's pray. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade. On your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Lord, teach us to rest. Teach us to receive. Teach us, Lord, teach us, teach us, teach us that the weight of the world is not on our shoulders because you've already carried it for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I'd like to invite you to stand with me, and we're going to confess with the Scriptures. This is from Philippians chapter 2, who Jesus is in his exalted humility. So let's do that now. Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, Christ, have mercy.